Welcome to the Weekend Pulpit of Everyday Truth. We are currently in a series of messages studying the life of Elijah and considering the ups and downs of serving God. Hope you enjoy. God bless. 1 Kings chapter 18, please, in your Bible this morning. 1 Kings chapter 18, we have been studying the life of Elijah. Boy, I love this Old Testament Bible character. The Bible has so much to say about him, not only in the Old Testament, but also in the New Testament. And the, the message last week was probably one of the most familiar passages in the Bible regarding Elijah. It was the time when Elijah stood really by himself against the prophets of Baal on Mount Carmel. God did that wonderful work, didn't he? Uh, the fire came down from heaven. God showed himself strong. And what a, what a demonstrable way by which God showed himself strong, showed himself to be the God. At the end of that contest, the Bible says that all the people, including Ahab, all the people were crying, the Lord, he is the God. The, the, the Lord, he is the God. So good things are happening uh, this is a great day for everyone except for the prophets of Baal. Their day didn't end well. But uh, we are in chapter number 18 and verse 41 this morning. So look, please, if you would, at verse number 41. The battle is over uh, between uh, God and the prophets of Baal. Uh, God obviously has emerged victorious. And watch what Elijah says now in verse 41. And Elijah said unto Ahab, Get thee up, eat and drink, for there is sound of abundance of rain. So Ahab went up to eat and to drink. Elijah went up to the top of, of Carmel, Mount Carmel, and he cast himself down upon the earth, and he put his face between his knees and said to his servant, go up now, look toward the sea, that would be the Mediterranean Sea. And he went up and looked and said, there's nothing. And he said, go again seven times. And it came to pass at the seventh time that he said, behold, there ariseth a little cloud out of the sea like a man's hand. And he, Elijah, said, go up, say unto Ahab, prepare thy chariot, get thee down, that the rain stop thee not. And it came to pass in the meanwhile that the heaven was black with clouds and wind. There was a great rain and Ahab rode and went to Jezreel. Now, verse 46. And the hand of the Lord was on Elijah, and he girded up his loins. That would be just a way by which they would take their, their robe and lift it up to about knee high so that they could run faster. So he girded up his loins and ran before Ahab to the entrance of Jezreel. I want to speak to you this morning for... Um, the moments that we have dedicated to uh, this, this time in our service, a message entitled, Drenched with Forgiveness. Now, I know that might not sound like it fits the passage, but I think by the time we're done this morning, you're going to see that that's what the entire passage is about. Drenched with forgiveness. Lord, I, I pray that you would, in a special way, drench us again today in your forgiveness, your grace. Thank you, Lord, for what it means to be a Christian. Thank you, Lord, for what it means to, to know Christ, to have a copy of the Bible, to live in freedom, to enjoy the health and prosperity that we all enjoy. Lord, we take it for granted. Help us today to 
Be more grateful and thankful for all that you've done. And then, Lord, I pray that you would use these moments to direct our hearts toward your word. I pray that you would illuminate it, make it come alive to our thinking. Lord, I pray that more than that, you would use it as a convicting agent in our life. May we see things about us. May we look down deeply into our own hearts and see those areas that we desperately need to change. Lord, bless us and help us. May we walk from this room in a few moments and and say it's been good. It's been good to have been in the house of the Lord. Bless this time we have together, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. We know the story in 1 Kings chapter 18 about how Elijah faced the prophets of Baal. We've been talking about it. I want you to see, though, how the chapter began. Because at the beginning of this chapter, God kind of gives us an outline of what's going to unfold in the chapter. Look at it again, First Kings chapter 18, and look back, uh, if you would, at verse number 1. Because the Bible tells us exactly how this chapter is going to unfold. Look at it, verse 1. Well, the Bible says, And it came to pass after many days, well, I guess so. I mean, it was three and a half years. So after many days, that the word of the Lord came to Elijah in the third year. So it's not rain for three years. They've been looking for Elijah for three years. They've not been able to find him for three years. Even now, Ahab is going in one direction, and Obadiah is going in another direction, looking for Elijah. He's the problem. He's, he's, the, he's the curse on the land, so they erroneously think. And the Bible says that in the third year, uh, to Elijah, God's word came, saying, look at the end of verse 1, go, God's speaking to Elijah, go, show thyself unto Ahab. So in other words, uh, Elijah, now is the time to confront Ahab. It's been three years. He's learned somewhat of his lesson. He knows that he's not in control. He knows that his choices have not brought prosperity. So now it's time, Elijah, for you to find him. He's not going to be able to find you. I've been protecting you. He's not going to be able to hurt you. I've been protecting you. So, Elijah, I want you to go to him. Go show yourself to Ahab. That was Elijah's part. Now, watch God's part at the end of verse 1. So, go show thyself unto Ahab and I. So there's God's part. I, I will send rain upon the earth. So it seems pretty simple. Okay, you confront Ahab, I'll deal with the rain situation. You do what I've told you to do, and I will do what only I can do. You'll find that all throughout the Bible. You'll find that formula all throughout the Bible. For instance, very famous verse, Proverbs chapter 3, verses 5 and 6. In all thy ways, help me, acknowledge what? Him, and he shall what? Direct thy paths. In all thy ways, acknowledge him, he shall direct thy paths. What's our part? Our part is to acknowledge him. What's his part? To direct our paths. So when we do our part, God uh, binds himself to his part, the part that he has promised. So uh, Elijah, you go confront Ahab. So everything we've talked about so far in 1 Kings chapter 18 has been Elijah doing his part, has been Elijah confronting Ahab. Confronting him by the words, confronting him by the message, confronting him with the prayer, confronting him or with the sword. I mean, confronting Ahab. And Ahab, in no uncertain terms, Ahab knows God is God. And Baal is not God. He's learned that lesson along with all the people. So, so far, so good. Go, show thyself unto Ahab. 
The only thing that's now left is God's part. And God's part is, and when God's done part of his part, hasn't he? The fire came from heaven. But now the rain is going to come. Only God can bring rain because the, the rain has been shut up in heaven by God. So now the rain's going to come. So the prayer that we read in verses 41 through 46 is simply the prayer that Elijah is praying, knowing what the word of God is. He's praying according to the will of God, and God's going to send that rain. So why does God send rain? Why does Elijah pray for rain? And what does rain have to do with forgiveness? Okay, good questions. Look back at 1 Kings chapter 8. Hold your finger here in chapter number 18, and go, look back at verse number 8. So 1 Kings chapter number 8, and let's go back about 75 years. 1 Kings chapter number 8, and we're going to go back about 75 years to a man by the name of Solomon. So who was Solomon? Solomon was the third king of Israel. It was Saul, and then David, and then Solomon. After Solomon, the kingdom split. So now you have a northern kingdom, that's Ahab, northern kingdom, and then you have a southern kingdom. Ahab lives about 50 years into the divided northern kingdom. So maybe about 75 years removed from what's happening in chapter 8. What's happening in chapter 8? Here's what's happening. David has died. Solomon is the king. One of the very first projects that Solomon undertakes as king is to build the temple. Remember, God would not allow David to build the temple. Why? David was known as a man of war. God wanted the temple to be associated with peace. So Solomon, whose name actually means peace, was to be the one that built the temple. David prepared. David got all the supplies. David raised all the money. But Solomon, you're going to be the one that builds it. So in chapter number eight, the temple has now been built. I mean, they've imported lumber from Lebanon. They've got all the fine artists that have done all their fancy work. I mean, it is a beautiful house. I mean, absolutely stunning. But a house that's stunning without God is just that a house. So, so far, it's just a house. So far, it's just a beautiful building. So far, it's just a lot of money spent. So in chapter number eight, Solomon says, okay, now it's time. Now it's time to move God into the house. Uh, Up until this point, the Ark of the Covenant, the place where God dwelt in the Old Testament, the place where the presence of God, the Shekinah glory of God rested, that Ark of the Covenant was down in the city of David. So the temple was now up here. The highest part of the Mount Moriah, the top of the city, right down the hill is the city of David. That's where David lived. That's where the people lived. So get the ark, bring it up to the new temple, put it in the Holy of Holies. Let's see what God does. So that's what they do. They get the ark, they bring it up in the prescribed way, they carry it on the staves, they bring it into the Holy of Holies. Here's what happens. God fills the entire temple with with, with a cloud. So thick is the cloud that God fills that temple, the priest can't even see. They're supposed to be doing their work, fixing this, uh, emptying that, cleaning this. They can't even do their work. You know why? The cloud is so thick, God's presence is so real that Solomon knows, wow, God's here. I mean, God's here. Have you ever been to a place in your life where, man, you just felt the presence of God in a special way? That's where Solomon was. Man, God is here. It was just unbelievable. So what does Solomon do? Solomon offers a dedicatory prayer. And in the dedicatory prayer that Solomon offers to God, he basically recounts the things that God has already told them. Hey, if you follow me, good things happen. 
They're called blessings. If you don't follow me, bad things happen. They're called curses. And in this prayer, we see that Solomon knows the word of God, and he knows uh, the God of the word. And watch what Solomon says in verse number 35. Are you there? Chapter 8, verse number 35. Don't miss it. The Bible says, when heaven, Solomon's speaking, he's praying, when heaven is shut up and there is no rain. Okay, stop. Stop for a moment. So what is Solomon saying? Solomon's saying, if there comes a time when it seems as if the hand of God has stopped rain, when it no longer rains, well, does that apply to chapter 18? You better believe it does. Does that apply to the drought that they've been experiencing for three years? You better believe it does. So when that happens, when there is no rain, because they have sinned against they have they sinned against God? Yep. If they pray toward this place, oh, there's the condition. So if it stops raining and they stop sinning and they turn in repentance toward God and they start praying and confess thy name. In other words, they say God is God. Not Baal, not Asherah, not Molech, not Chemosh, not some other false god. God is the God. Well, that's what they're doing in chapter 18. Uh, they have been without water. God shut up the rain. Uh, God said, I'm not, I'm not talking to you right now until you, until you uh, get uncomfortable enough to turn back to me. They're turning back to God. Watch what happens here. If they confess thy name and turn from their sin, when thou afflictest them, then watch what happens in verse 36. Then... Solomon's praying to God, then hear thou in heaven. God, I, I know what's going to happen. I know that these people are going to, they're going to forget you. I know that. And Lord, I know what your word says, and I know that you're going to shut up heaven, and you're going to touch their agriculture, and you're going you're to make them uh, realize that you're the God. You're the God that controls. And God, when they, when they come to their senses, God, when they realize that, and when they're truly repentant, and God, when they turn back to you, Lord, would you please hear their prayer? That's what Solomon's saying. Would you please hear their prayer? Verse number 36. Then hear thou in heaven, forgive the sin of thy servants and, the, and of thy people Israel, that thou teach them the good way wherein they should walk and give rain. Give rain. Give rain upon thy land, which thou hast given to thy people for an inheritance. Now, watch what he goes on to say in verse number 37. If there be in the land famine. Well, that's exactly what's happening in chapter 18. There's drought and famine. So if there be famine, and then he lists some others, pestilence or blasting or mildew or locust or the caterpillar, or if the enemy besiege them, watch this, whatsoever the plague, whatever the, th the, th the, th the thing is, whatsoever sickness there be, verse number 38, what prayer and supplication so ever be made by any man. So now what Solomon says is, hey, if anybody turns to you. So now he's not just talking to the congregation. He's talking to you and you and you and me and you. And watch what he says in verse number 35. What prayer and supplication so ever be made by any man or by all thy people Israel, which shall know every man, watch this, the plague of his own heart and spread forth his hands toward this house, then hear thou in heaven, thy dwelling place, forgive, do, give to every man according to his ways, whose heart thou knowest. God, if people turn to you, because they know their heart, they know the hidden sin, 
They know how they've turned from you. God, if people get right with you at the heart level, hear them. Oh God, if people call out to you, not not perfunctorily, not in some mechanical, programmatic way, but if people call out to you from their heart to say, oh God, I'm sorry. Oh God, I repent. Oh God, I was wrong. Then God, please hear those people. That's the prayer of Solomon. Well, Elijah knows all about this. Elijah, as a prophet of God, he knows the promise of God. And he knows that if rain is going to come, it's only going to come if people are sincerely repenting. It's only going to come if from a heart of humility, they've called out, oh God, so what's Elijah praying for? In 1 Kings 18, he's not praying for rain. He's praying for forgiveness. The rain is simply the symbol of the forgiveness. He's praying that God's people would be right with God. He's praying that God's people would be right with God. Now, look at 1 Kings chapter 18 again, and let me give you a couple thoughts. I said to the early service, let me give you a couple thoughts in closing, because I just needed to encourage them. It means nothing, but it just encourages people when I say in closing. Fact is, I've not even really started, okay? 1 Kings chapter 18, look at verse number, that's not true either. Look at verse number 41. 1 Kings chapter 18, look, look at verse number 41. So with all of that as background, look at verse 41. I call this Elijah's invitation. So Elijah said to Ahab, oh, Ahab's been there the whole time. Ahab saw the whole thing. Ahab saw the firefall. Ahab saw the execution, the capital punishment of the false prophets of Baal. He's seen sin in all of his ugliness. He's seen his heart in all of his rebellion. Man, he has seen it all. And the implication is Ahab is repentant too. The implication is Ahab sees it and he's called God is the God. I mean, Ahab has had a front row seat. And watch the invitation that Elijah gives to Ahab in verse 41. Elijah said unto Ahab, get thee up. So he was down at the brook Kishon. Go back up to the place of the altar. Get thee up, the Bible says, eat and drink. Now you would say, well, what in the world does that have to do with anything, okay? So get up and eat and drink. Pastor Kelly, I do that every day. I get up, I have my bowl of Captain Crunch, I go to work, okay? At least that's what you ought to do. Um, but to, no, it's more than that. When he says, get thee up, eat and drink, to eat and drink means to celebrate. It was, it was used in the Bible metaphorically of, hey, it's time to celebrate. It's time for eating and drinking, uh, marrying and getting in marriage. It was a, it was a, there were words of festivity. In other words, uh, Ahab, repentance has been offered. Ahab, you've dealt with the, with the rebellion of your heart. The people have declared God to be the God. You've seen all the bloodiness. You've seen all the horrificness of what sin does. And the, the slaying of the prophets of Baal, that must have been awful and horrific to see uh, what sin does and sin brings forth death and all of that. And by the way, repentance is an ugly thing. It's ugly when we have to look at the sin of our own heart. It's ugly when we think about our own rebellion. It's ugly when we think about the years we've wasted. It's ugly. But what's wonderful about the Lord is he gives us fresh chances. What's wonderful about God is that he pushes that reset button by grace and by forgiveness and gives us the opportunity to enter into the presence of his joy once again. And so what is Elijah saying? Elijah, I think, first of all, is saying, hey, uh, Ahab, you have acknowledged God. There was acknowledgement. Ahab, the Lord, he is the God. The Lord, he is the God. Ahab, you have acknowledged God for who he has eaten and drink. 
You have acknowledged God for who he is. Uh, it's, uh, there, there's joy. There's, there's, there, there is uh, there's a, a fresh start. There's newness. There is forgiveness because there is acknowledgement. Do you know that that's the way you came to Jesus Christ? That's why you came to salvation. You came to salvation, first of all, through acknowledgement. You acknowledge that you were a sinner. You acknowledge that you were wrong. You acknowledge that your way and what you were trusting in. You acknowledge the sinfulness of the plague of your own heart. You acknowledge that. And you came to God and said, God, uh, I acknowledge that. And the only hope I have is you. The only hope I have is in your sacrifice. And so remember last week, we talked about the fact that the sacrifice here in chapter number 18 was just a harbinger of the ultimate sacrifice, and that was Jesus Christ. And the fire of God's judgment fell upon the Lamb of God that took away the sin of the world, and our only hope is to acknowledge our sinfulness, uh, our uh, futility, and trust in what God has done through the finished sacrifice of Jesus Christ. And so there can, be, there can be joy, there can be forgiveness, there can be grace, there can be newness. Why? Because there was acknowledgement. But not only was there acknowledgement, I think number two, there was, uh, there, there was acceptance. You know, eating and drinking in the Bible was always a symbol of acceptance. If I invited you to my house, that means I accept you. Matter of fact, in Middle Eastern culture, for me to bring you in my house means I'm responsible for you. I'm responsible to, that's why I haven't invited you over yet, because I don't want to be responsible for y'all, okay? But uh, if you come to my house, I'm responsible. I'm responsible to feed you. I'm responsible to, uh, to make sure that you have uh, lodging. I'm responsible for your protection. I'm responsible. That was, that was what was expected. And so for God to say, uh, come, eat and drink. Come unto me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden. I will give you rest. Uh, the spirit and the bride say, come, let him that's thirsty, come. When God says, come, what that means is I take full responsibility for you. It's not your job to save yourself, and it's not your job to keep your salvation. Come and dine, the master saith. Come and dine. That's the whole point. When he said, uh, eat and drink, that's God. You've been accepted. You're in the beloved. You're in the home. God accepts you. But how this must have made Ahab feel. There was acknowledgement. There was acceptance. But watch thirdly, there was anticipation. Do you see that in verse number 41? Well, the Bible says, And Elijah said unto Ahab, Get thee up, eat and drink, for, here's the because part, for there is sound of abundance of rain. Now, what, what is the sound of coming rain? I don't know. But Elijah heard something. Maybe he's just speaking words of faith here. He said, but hey, uh, Ahab, it's time to rejoice. Hey, Ahab, it's, come, it's time to come sit in the press. Uh, it's time to come sit at the altar again. Acknowledge what God alone can do. Be accepted by him for what he alone has accomplished. And then anticipate what he alone can bring. God's going to bring the rain. And not the raindrops around me that are falling, but for the showers we plead. He's going to bring showers of blessing. Ahab, just you wait and see. That's salvation, my friends. Amen. That's salvation. If God can save somebody like Ahab, who was so rebellious, he turned others against God. If he can save somebody like Paul, that was so rebellious, he killed Christians for a living. Listen, he can save you. He can save anybody. But there must be acknowledgement. 
The one sacrifice of Jesus is what's sufficient. And then there's acceptance. I'm accepted in the beloved. And then there's anticipation because every good thing that God gives us, he gives us because of Christ. This is a new beginning. You can anticipate the blessings of God pouring down upon you, Ahab. But what a message this must have been to a weary soul that day. And it's a message he didn't just give to Ahab. It's a message he gives to you, no matter who you are. No matter where you're from, if you come God's way, you'll get God's blessings. That's just the way it works. I call it Elijah's invitation. But not only do I see Elijah's invitation, notice with me secondly this morning, what I'll call Elijah's intercession. So Elijah begins to pray. But when Elijah prays, he doesn't just pray. He doesn't pray for himself. Matter of fact, Elijah doesn't really even need to pray for himself. Well, God's been taking care of him just fine. Elijah's got ravens uh, feeding him. He's got a widow feeding him. He's got God caring for him. And Elijah's fine. So Elijah's not praying for himself. Elijah is praying for the people. And watch what happens in verse 42. So Ahab went up to eat and to drink. Elijah went up to the top of Carmel. Watch this. And he cast himself down upon the earth. Well, that's an abrupt statement. He cast himself down upon the earth, and he put his face between his knees. Now, I would illustrate that, but I don't think I could be able to get back up, okay? (laughs) I mean, he cast himself down, and he put his head between his knees. You know what that is? That's the posture of his prayer. Let me ask you a question. What is the posture of your prayer? I'm not talking about the physical posture. I'm not talking about if you sit or kneel or stand or walk. I'm not asking that. I'm saying, watch this. What is the posture, what is the posture of your prayer? Humble yourselves in the sight of the Lord. He shall lift you up. Cleanse your hands, you sinners. Purify, purify your hearts, you double-minded. Be afflicted and mourn and weep. Let your laughter return to mourning and your joy to heaviness. Humble yourselves in the sight of the Lord. He shall lift you up. Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, that he may exalt you in due time. Before honor, there is humility. Humility. Uh, Elijah is, is, his posture is, Lord, I'm not coming as the victor. I'm not Rocky Balboa climbing the Philadelphia stairs to the top of Mount Carmel to say, you know, here I am, you know, bring it on. We just beat the prophets of Baal. Who's next? Now, there's no spiritual hero here. This is Elijah saying, God, I know the glory belongs to you. God, I know who you are. And God, I know that these people don't deserve forgiveness. They don't deserve one drop of rain. They don't deserve the, 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 the God that you are. They've rejected you. They've wandered from you. They've not listened to you. But, oh, God, it's the posture of prayer. I think too often we come to God kind of with an entitlement mentality. Yeah, I deserve. God, give me. God, this is not fair. Do you really want to play the not fair card with God? I mean, do we really want to play the not fair card with God? Because the last thing I want God to do with me is be fair. Because if God were fair with me, I'd be faring a whole lot worse off. Aren't you glad that God's not fair? And so it's a posture of prayer. But not only do I see the posture of his prayer, I see, uh, secondly, the process of his prayer. 
Well, watch what it says in verse number 42. Elijah, he went up, he cast himself down, he put the face between his knees, and he said, he said to his servant, go up, look toward the sea. So his servant goes up a few feet, he can now get a vantage point, he looks to the west, there's the Mediterranean Sea, I've, I've stood in this exact spot. So there he is, he looks out, he goes, what do you see? Nothing. What do you see? Nothing. Have you ever prayed and you've seen nothing? Do, do, do you know that the, the, the language here is the same language that was used when the prophet of Baal cried out to the false god Baal and he didn't answer? Same words. So they called the Baal, Baal didn't answer because he couldn't answer. But here, they call out to the true God, and uh, you see something? Nothing. I see nothing. Have you ever been in a place in your life where you're praying, and you feel like you're praying in humility, and you're not even praying for yourself, and you're asking God, and, and you, but there's nothing, there's crickets. That was Elijah. But watch the process. It's not a one and done. It's not a one and done. He, he keeps praying. Why does he keep praying? Because he knows what God said. Keep praying because he knows what God was saying. And what God said was, hey, I'm going to send rain. Now, God said that. God said that. And God said in 1 Kings chapter 8 that, that if, if, if we'll come to him and, and ask for forgiveness and turn from our wicked ways, then he'll hear us and he'll send the rain. And God, I'm banking on what you said. God, I'm not hearing anything right now, and I, I, I don't hear your voice, but I'm going to keep on asking, God, because here's what you said. Here's what you said. That's good praying. Good praying is not when we try to convince God of our will. Good praying is when we know what God's will is, and we pray according to it. That's why it's important that your prayers be informed. That's why it's important that when you come to God, you say, God, here's what your word says, and here's what your character is, and God, I'm not praying to consume this upon my lusts. I'm not praying for some ulterior motive, but God, I'm praying according to your word, and my mom needs to be saved, and my dad needs to be saved, my cousin needs Christ, and I'm praying for my child to come back to God. Those are the prayers that God hears. Why? Because they're according to his will. Sometimes you hear nothing. And what did Elijah do? He kept on praying. Go ask again. Go look again. Go look again. He's praying the whole time. Go look again. And go look again and go look again and go look again. And go look again and go look again. Maybe you need to go look again. Maybe you just need to come, keep on praying. The Bible talks about importunate prayer. Oh God, oh God. That was Elijah. It was not just the posture of his prayer coming humbly. I don't deserve, and oh God, that you would even listen to me. But then the process of his prayer, I'm believing, I'm, I'm expecting God for you to do what you told me you would do. But not only do I see the posture of his prayer and then the, the process of his prayer, notice thirdly, if you would, the purpose of his prayer. And can I just say this about the process? You know, initially there was nothing. Eventually there was some small thing, but ultimately there was something huge. Did, did, you, did you see that? Initially there was nothing. They were praying and I'm getting nothing. God, I'm praying and nothing's happening. But he kept on praying. And eventually he saw something. It was like a cloud that doesn't bring a big rainstorm, by the way. That was the size of a man's hand or fist. 
It's like, well, I, you okay? Yeah, I, I do see something now. It's a, wait a minute, he's over here. Yeah, I do see something now. It's the size of a man's hand. Yeah, God's doing something. Have you ever read about the, the Welsh revival? Wales, part of Great Britain, Wales, right next to England. A man by the name of Robert Evans. I think it was Robert Evans. He was a kid who loved the Lord. He loved his Bible. He would read his Bible every day, and he loved his Bible so much he'd carry his Bible with him. As a teenager, he began working like all the other kids in town at the coal mine, 12 hours a day, hard work, sooty faces, short lifespan, but he loved the Lord. Every break he'd get, he'd read his Bible, pray. When he was 20 years of age, 1898, he went to a meeting and a preacher preached and said, some of you just need to give your whole life to God. Evans was like, yeah, that, that's me. That's what I need to do. He went that night and prayed all night long, prayed all night long, said, oh God, I want to make a difference. Oh God, people are lost and they're dying and they're going to hell. And there's an apathy that has crept over our whole nation and people have forgotten about you and, and people uh, all around me, people are just living their own lives and doing their own thing and no one respects you anymore. And God, I want to make a difference. Oh God, use me. He began to pray that God would use him. And when he was 26 years of age, he, he on October 31st of 1904, he had a little prayer meeting, called some friends. We need to pray for the Holy Spirit of God to do his work. We need to pray that God's power would fall. I've been praying by myself and nothing's happening. Would you pray with me? And every night he would have someone... A, publicly confess Christ. I'm a Christian and I'm willing to tell everyone about it. I'm a Christian and 18 people gathered for the next six days. Well, the six days turned into six weeks, turned into six months. And revival began to spread across all of Wales. Insofar that thousands and thousands and thousands of people got saved. Bars shut down, pubs shut down. The courthouse became empty because there was no one there that was going to jail anymore. The church houses were exploding. Initially, there was nothing. Eventually, there was just a small thing. But ultimately, it was a huge thing. You know what we need in Fredericksburg? A huge thing. But sometimes huge things start with nothing. Sometimes huge things start with a widow woman on her knees praying. Nothing's happening. I keep praying. Look again. Look again. Look again. You don't know what God can do. Look again. Are you praying according to his will? Are you claiming his word? Are you trusting him? You can make a difference. Small things become big things. No things become small things become big things. It's a process. You see it all throughout the Bible. The posture of his prayer, the process of his prayer, the purpose of his prayer. What was Elijah praying for? You said, Pastor Skelly, you told us he was praying for people to be forgiven. Where's that in the Bible? I'm glad you asked. Because the Bible references Elijah's prayer in James chapter 5. Remember? remember? In James chapter 5, the Bible's talking about praying for other people. The prayer of faith shall save the sick. The Lord shall raise them up. If you have committed sins, they shall be forgiven him. 
The Bible says, the effectual fervent prayer of a righteous man, confess your faults one to another, pray one for another, uh, that you may be healed. The effectual fervent prayer of a righteous man availeth much. Elijah was a man subject to like passions as we are. He's just like you and me. He prayed earnestly that it might not rain. And it rained not on the earth by the space of three years and six months. And he prayed again. And the heaven gave rain and the earth brought forth her fruit. If any of you see a brother sent a sin, which is not unto death, he shall ask. He shall give him life for that. Wait a minute. Wait a minute. The story about Elijah in the New Testament is sandwiched in the context of praying for other people's forgiveness. Praying that God would do something in other people's lives. That's what Elijah's doing. That's why James used that illustration. James used that illustration because Elijah knew what rain was. Rain was the exclamation point. Rain was God saying yes. Rain was saying God's showing out on the outside what he had done on the inside. They had drenched their lives in forgiveness. Oh, God, bring the rain. That's the prayer for our families. That's the prayer for our church house. That's the prayer for our neighborhoods. That's the prayer for our extended families. Oh, God, send the rain. Because what we're saying is, oh, God, deal with the hearts of men. Oh, God, do the work on the inside. Oh, God, humble us. Oh, God, may we come back to you with faces between our knees, cast down to the ground. Oh, God, send the rain. That's what he's praying. That's the need of the hour. Humility and God's grace and forgiveness. It's Elijah's invitation to Ahab. It's Elijah's intercession for the people. But then watch, lastly, this morning, Elijah's instructions. The prayer's been offered. The message has come back from the servant. Rain's coming. Little clouds there. And watch what Elijah does in verse 44 toward the end of the verse. And he said, see that? Verse 44, middle of the verse. And he said, go up. And say unto Ahab, you just got to love Elijah. So here's this little servant boy who's a nobody. He didn't have a rank. He didn't have a title. He's not in the military. No one knows who he is. Hey, go tell Ahab to do this. Ahab's the king. Ahab calls the shot. Ahab probably has his royal robe on. And he sends an errand boy to tell Ahab, Hey, do this. Go there. Make it snappy. You know why? Because when you get right with God, you want to hear the word of God. You don't care where it comes from. When you get right with God, you know what you do? You humbly follow him. You're not worried about a fancy message. You're not worried about the glit and glamour. You're not worried about any of it. You just say, God, speak to me. Oh, God, speak to me. There's humility. When Elijah gave his instructions, it involved humility. When Elijah gave his instructions, it involved haste. Hey, go now. Go now, Ahab, right now. Get ready, get out of here. The rain's coming, you need to get there. Go, go now, that's humility. Go, I mean, go, that's humility. Go now, that's haste. And then the Bible tells us an amazing thing. Look at it in closing. And I mean in closing. Look at verse 45. And it came to pass in the meanwhile... The heaven, was, the heaven was black with, with, with clouds and wind. We've all been there. There was a great rain. Ahab rode. He went to Jezreel. That's 17 miles away. 
the hand of the Lord was on Elijah, I guess so, because he girded up his loins and ran over a half marathon before Ahab to the entrance of Jezreel. First of all, how did that make Ahab feel? You know, he's on this chariot, going as fast as he can. It's raining. He's got a servant holding the umbrella. He gets there, and Elijah's like, where you been? You know, because God's with him. But what's the point? The point is that God sent Elijah ahead as a herald to herald the coming of the king. Hey, Ahab's coming, and he's got a message. Ahab's coming, and he's got a new direction for the country. Ahab's, see, here's the point. The point is, when you get right with God, you ought to launch out humbly. You ought to launch out immediately, I mean, with haste. That's the urgent need of your life, to follow him. Humbly, with haste. But here's what God says, I'll go before you. Because some of you are thinking, boy, if I really went all out for God, what would I say to my workplace where I've not lived that kind of life? God will go before you. God will go before you. What would I say to my old friends? What would I say to my family? You don't worry about that. You just humbly obey God, take him at his word, accept his showers of forgiveness, and go to your new life in Christ and just see what God will prepare for you to do. Now, the story doesn't end well with Ahab. Matter of fact, I'll be honest with you, it doesn't even go well for Elijah next chapter. But what an opportunity God gives when we're drenched with forgiveness. 